0: We're down six sausage, pepper, five greens to the ravioli. Let's go.
1: down that because you are not firing.
0: Chef, chill. Are you Chef, out, like not f- not out of your mind? Get out maniac, don't you tell are. me to chill. I'm waiting on those peppers,
2: Chef. These guys got to pick up their orders
0: now. I need What chips? I need chips. Listen to the words, the words the coming out of my no, mouth. Chef, lower your voice, please. Thank you. So sorry, guys. Thank you for your patience.
2: Oh, man. it's It's a now stressed Ben Bailey Smith here.
1: And Sasha Bates.
2: And uh, Sasha is like my uh, cousin. She's not exactly my cousin. But um, (laughs) we we run a little uh, podcasting joint. You should uh, come check it out. We handpick our own artisanal, favourite fictional TV characters. And we cook up a a many-layered organic dish of reasons why they behave the way they do. All right? And you might even get to take away a little doggy bag of life lessons. How about that? Have a little human condition with some spice on the side. Sasha, tell us about the clip at the top.
1: Oh gosh, yes, the chefs at the original beef of Chicagoland, mm. the family-run beef sandwich shop where the bear is set. That was one of the very many high-stress points in the series. Yeah, I mean, like you, I feel so stressed by that. I mean, everything's disintegrating. They're very, very dysfunctional.
2: Yeah, and it's you, you get a sort of sense of history about it before you even get any backstory, right? Mm feels yep. like a place that's been around for a while, has had its troubles, has maybe been a little neglected at mm. times. Do you know what I mean? Especially, uh, you know, just the look of it. It looks like from a different era.
1: Sort of down at heel.
2: Yeah. Mm. yeah,
1: But sort of well-loved as well. I mean, they have queues, don't they? People are, are host the regulars.
2: The image of it, the look of it, there's a richness to the, the location that we're in pretty much 90% of the time. And... It's lovely that there's a richness of character mm. and obviously a richness of food because we're dealing with... And
1: of language. Yeah, and
2: <laughs> absolutely rich, saucy language as well. Short episodes grip me from the start.
1: I, I found it all a bit too much to start with. As I tuned in to that kind of heightened tension, gradually the characters almost started to emerge out of the chaos. And I did come to love them, mm. um, almost as they sort of came to love and understand each other. But it, it did take a while. Maybe,
2: because- Yeah, I could see that now. Maybe I approached it, you know, with that steam train speed head on. You know, mm. I, I, was, I was ready for what was coming my way. Chaos is kind of mm. a, a trope of this show, isn't it? So it's, it's like baked in. Yeah. So <laughs> if that's just slaps you in the face, when you're not ready for it. I can see that. <laughs> um, all right. So what we're hoping is that you uh, are hungry. You got your your appetite wetted, because on the menu today we got more than a couple of Michelin stars brigade systems we'll we'll get an explanation on that i can't i don't even think i can remember it and and an emotionally charged spaghetti recipe that will literally have you weeping into your dinner sorry about that please expect a a bunch of spoilers and and the odd bit cursing because it's the bear and it's us so yes chefs welcome to shrink the box okay recap time For any of those who haven't watched The Bear or or can only remember mere morsels, here's a tasty little recap. We've got Kami, who's played by Jeremy Allen White. He's a young chef from the... the, These come from the fine dining world. Um, And he comes home to Chicago after a heartbreaking death in his family. And the the spot's called The Original Beef of Chicagoland, as as, as Sasha mentioned. It's a family-owned sandwich shop run by his brother and kind of cousin, sort of family affiliate, Richie. And it's now in Kami's hands and it's a world away from what he's used to and now he's suddenly got to balance this this, the the soul crushing realities of of small business ownership and then his strong willed and rebellious staff and his his strained familial relationships and he's got to do all of this while grappling with the impact of this death in the family which was his brother's tragic suicide and now the, the show follows Kami's fight almost from his POV at times to transform both the shop and also himself. Sash, give us a, a rundown of the sweaty young man at the centre of this. Uh, he's sort of at the eye of the storm, isn't he? Um, our head chef, Carmi.
1: Poor Carmi. I mean, he's really battling on, on all France. And I think the thing that you notice about him... First, beyond the, the the stress, is that he clearly worshipped his older brother, Mikey, and he was really hurt and confused when he was pushed away by him. We learn later that um, Mikey actually stopped him working in the sandwich shop, which is what kind of fuels his ambition to go off and learn how to do haute cuisine in, instead. And he poured himself into his work, I think, to run away from that hurt. And now, again, it's like he's pouring himself into the work to run away from the hurt of, of Mikey's death. What we see initially is a sort of obsessive workaholic he's trying to change the sandwich shop into a slightly more functional place but he's also trying to make himself a bit more functional as well i think
2: how do you think the environment that he finds himself in affect his his psyche because i, f- I feel like his behavior around people is is really often unacceptable and sort of justified by the, st- the stress of the job do you know what i mean
1: it feels like it's been normalized. It feels like everybody just accepts that that's how kitchens work. As you say, whether it's a sandwich shop or fine dining, it seems like this kind of horrible culture of speed and abuse and bullying and conflict is baked in. When we meet him, he's just in this sort of state of bemusement. It's like he's scrabbling to keep the business afloat. He's scrabbling to keep his own head above water. The whole series starts with him having a dream about... A bear being locked in a cage, and it feels like the whole dressy environment is him working to keep the bear at bay, trying to keep the bear, which I think represents his grief and his vulnerability, locked away in in a cage? And we're thrown straight into the middle of that chaos with him. We bet like you said, we barely leave the kitchen really. Sometimes people even sleep there. So it is this just heightened, hot, horrible environment. And I think working is his way of not having to look at anything more emotional.
2: What kind of responsibility do you think, Kami? feels because he seems so focused on one thing that he's ignoring everything else.
1: He can be quite passive. It's almost like he doesn't want to impose his personality. At one point, much, much later in the series, he says, I let the food do the speaking for me. He says that he didn't really have friends. He was shy as a child. He stuttered Mm. he didn't have girlfriends. And Mikey, the brother that died, was very much his kind of hero. And he kind of took the lead. And I think Kami's feeling a little bit lost without him. He's having to step up and be the boss and he can't be as passive as he has been. And I think that's why Richie, Mikey's best friend, kind of fills that void a little bit. Kami is so used to being bullied in his old job and by, I think, having an older brother that took the lead that he kind of lets Richie take that role. And it leads to so much conflict because... Is nominally the boss. He's trying to impose order. And Richie just kind of sweeps that out the way he like humiliates him he mocks him he laughs at all his attempts to change he calls him a fucking baby every time Kami says can we do it this way please Richie's like ah fuck that just do it our way stop trying to mess with our systems Mm. I think Kami consciously wants to impose some order but unconsciously he quite likes the big brother energy that Richie brings to it because it's almost like a way of keeping Mikey alive that sense of yeah I am the baby in the family I'm used to being told what to do Mm. there's a tension not just the between the two of them, but I think within Carmi himself, have I got the balls really to step up and say, no, fuck it, it's my restaurant, Mikey left it to me, do as I say. And I think the whole series is that fight, externalised in the fight with Richie, but actually internalised as well, that's how I read it.
2: Richie's sort of playing a role as well, because Mm. he is representing, like you say, his older brother, so he's representing old Italian family and ways. Yeah. And he's not old or Italian or family.
1: Yeah.
2: So speaking of confrontations, there's a flashback to uh, Kami's old workplace, which is this michelin starred French-style restaurant in New York. And there's a particularly abusive head chef. So this is kind of some little origin stories from what you were talking about. Check this out. Still not
0: there again, chef. Yes, chef. Thank you, chef. Wait on 31, chefs. Hey! Why? Chef, I'm sorry, it got too hot. Why? It didn't cool down. Why? But it was my fault. Go. Bye. Fire 19 chefs! Really? Hold on 17 chefs! Hey! Why do you hire fucking idiots? Do you like working with fucking idiots? I'll do better. Say yes, chef. Yes, chef, can you not handle this? Is it too much for you? Answer me. I can handle it, Chef. I can handle it, Chef. Twelve, ten, thirty-six. Don't 13, fuck with my 36,
2: count. Sorry, Three, 52, 13, why are you serving
0: broken sauces? Why? I get it. You have a short man's complex. You can barely reach over this fucking table, right? Is this why you have the tattoos and your cool little scars and you go out and you take your smoke breaks? It's fun, isn't it? But here's the thing. You're terrible at this. You're no good at it. Go faster, motherfucker. Keep going faster. Why are you so slow? Why are you so fucking slow? Why? You think you're so tough? Yeah, why don't you say this? Say yes, chef. I'm so tough. Yes, chef, I'm so tough. Say fucking yes, chef, I'm so tough. Yes, chef, I'm so tough. You are not
2: tough. You are bullshit. You are talentless. Say fucking hands.
0: Hands? You should be dead.
2: Mate, it's Ooh. just brutal, isn't it? I
1: feel quite a, sick yeah, listening it's a barrage.
2: to it. It's, oh, mate, that is...
1: I mean, what I think is interesting about this whole kitchen environment is it's almost like it personifies the state of the nervous system because we now know how sort of indivisible mind and body are. And mm. if, if we're really in a state of tension and if our nervous system's sort of ramped up into that kind of survival fight-flight mode... Our brains can't think clearly and none of them are thinking clearly. But it all adds to this sort of this muddle and this sort of aggression and this We talk a lot about the influence of family and how that makes us who we are. But we've also got our work family. A lot of people, especially chefs like this, they spend more time with their work family than they do with their actual family. And that all adds to who we are. And I think we live in a society represented by this kitchen that values and rewards speed and overwork. And it's almost like, oh, you're a success if you never sleep. You're a success if you sleep underneath your counter and get up and, you know, make donuts at four am because you're trying to get it right and it's so unhealthy but we can see the amount of layers that we're fighting against to kind of combat our own internal you know my old brother's dead and i'm trying to kind of cope with that and my dynamic with him plus this work environment where bullying and abuse is just normalized plus the society that's saying yeah if you want to be a success of course you're going to work 12 hour days or 18 hour days it's awful
2: even him being in control of this kitchen he's not really in control
1: No, it doesn't feel like it. It feels like that's what he's battling towards, but he never quite gets there. But again, control is a way of controlling his emotions. Again, we looked at this in several other episodes where where grief has been a running theme, how people... Trying to outrun their grief because mm. it's too much. They don't want to face it. This show is a, a series of things going wrong. Toilets explode, <laughs> fuses they explode Butons as well. I think buttocks get get stabbed. There's knives, and somebody's going to get a finger chopped off. And there's like boiling oil, and I, there's I things forgot. to slip yeah. on on the floor. <laughs> yeah, so it true. feels like constantly waiting for somebody yeah, to hurt right. themselves.
2: And when you hear the clips, the music, the music's actually yeah. like it's from a horror film it is it's super sinister yeah let's see if there's any more of that under this this next clip as, as Kami is trying his best to take control of this insane environment that Sasha's just detailed
0: okay look I, I'm not trying to be an asshole and change your guy's system okay I don't I don't want to fuck it up I don't want to meddle with it or whatever the fuck all right I want to harness it okay seriously I want to I want to organize it all right, we, we can't keep operating like this. We got a C. Guys, a C stands for chaos. That can't happen again. And that's why we are going to start operating like a French kitchen. That means there's going to be a chain of command. Okay, this was developed by Escoffier, and I think... Oh, escoffie <laughs> Love that, dude. <laughs> what's up? I don't know what's going on. We're implementing a French brigade. Mm-hmm. Got it. Cool. Yeah. Eh, fuck that. That's bullshit. Okay, Carmen, no, no, no. No. I was in a brigade once. What happened? Many people died. See, Joe? Okay, this is it's going to be different. All right. Look, this is This is what real kitchens do. Guys, this is what real teams do, okay? Everybody takes care of their own station. They keep their own side of the street clean.
2: Yeah, it's almost like there's a really sweary video game in the background.
1: Yeah, they've got those. Is it a video game? Yeah, they've got a whole load of video games lined up behind that seem to be constantly making this horrible bibbing <laughs> it's noise. Really annoying. And like you said, there's a phone that keeps ringing, uh, and there's the like the whatever it's called the ticker tape thing that's throwing out the orders. This like constant soundscape. noise. It was, oh yeah, soundscape. Oh my god. Yeah, but you can hear there as well, Richie. Again, undermining Carmy's attempts to to. Try and find a path through, and he humiliates him. I mean, he, the number of times he calls him a, a fucking baby. There's no teamwork. This is an attempt to make them work as a team, but at the mm. moment they're each each an individual pulling in a different direction, and they do. They need to work as a brigade or, or or as a team. I mean, that's why I think this is such a great series. This isn't just about working in a kitchen. It's about how we. Navigate grief. It's about how we navigate life.
2: Which makes me think Richie scoffing at it has deeper meaning for Mm. him, for Richie, you know, because if you work together, if you don't isolate yourself, if you're part of a team, Mm. then people might fuck around, start talking about feelings.
1: Yeah, exactly. I don't think
2: Richie is ready for that. The irony of the baby thing, of course, is that Richie's really immature.
1: Mm. Exactly. Even (laughs) with
2: the homophobic slur there, it's just Mm. like so childish. yeah But that is Richie. And then he's constantly calling. This little brother, who's not his little brother or cousin, mm-hmm. a baby. A man who's achieved way more than Richie has.
1: Yeah, I mean in he, less time. We see that he got awards as best new chef yeah. or something, and and Richie just scoffs at all of it because I think he can't bear the fact that Carmi inherited the restaurant and he didn't. The rivalry and the jealousy over who did Mikey love best I think that underpins so much of that aggression mm. and why he has to keep Carmi down because it's like Carmi got the restaurant and I didn't and what does that say about our relationship Mikey and Mai's relationship
2: yeah all right well let's take a little break and, and when we come back we'll be we'll be looking at a, a Xanax-fueled kids party a pyromaniacs fantasy and an exploding toilet Back after the ads, unless you're a subscriber to The Take, in which case we'll see you soon and then I can cork up a hole in the wall. Bloody rodents. This show is supported by BetterHelp. Uh, now, sometimes you're carrying a weight on your shoulders, but you can't find the right way to open up about it and maybe offload a bit to others if we keep things bottled up it can really affect us in a bad way and therapy is a safe and anonymous place to air whatever's been troubling you uh, and i know this personally it always feels better just to speak your truth it, it, honestly you genuinely feel lighter and the moan can tell you all about feeling light or heavy so if you're thinking of starting therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's entirely online, suited to your schedule. Fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com shrinkthebox today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash shrinkthebox. Alright, we've just stepped back in from the uh, the damp, squalid alleyway through the back door and we we're, uh, we're back in the kitchen. So uh Kami is in the throes of Grief, your, your your specialist subject, um, Sash, and tell us a bit more.
1: When I first started watching this series, along with all the, the stress and the tension, I felt like I'd missed an earlier series. It felt like hmm. I didn't... we have just woken up and just thrown into the middle of a sort of maelstrom of of confusion. And I think that's what grief can feel like. Suddenly, somebody just kind of... You woke up one day and your entire life had, had changed. And I think that's what they were all dealing with. Again, like that sense of all the knives and the boiling oil and this sort of uh, lurking terror. When you do lose somebody, particularly when you lose somebody suddenly, it's like you're very faced with your own mortality. That's there as well. And also guilt. Whether you have any responsibility for the person's death or not, you still feel that guilt. Another one of Kami's dreams shows that he's feeling guilt towards his brother because he has a dream where he he actually killed Mikey. And he also talks about feeling. feeling. Feeling like when he witnessed a fire once in a restaurant, he he wanted to just let it burn down because he thought, oh, all my anxiety will go away if I just let it burn. And I think there is that fantasy of, I just want all this to go away. But of course, the truth is, is that if he had let it all burn down, he'd still just have a whole load of other anxieties.
2: Can you have envy of... A dead person because they don't have to worry about anything anymore. They can rest, like, properly.
1: Yeah, I think that's really part of it, that I'm left to deal with the shit. And that can complicate your grief as well, because you can also feel very angry at the person for leaving you with this and I think you can see that in Carmi's incomprehension at the paperwork system and the the ordering system and where the supplies are coming from and who's paid for what and there's a lot of anger of like why have you left me in in this situation but I also think he's lost and this is also very uh, relevant to grief. He's lost a part of himself, which you do do when you lose somebody really close to you. And he's lost a part of him that was a Haute cuisine chef and working in the top restaurants. And he's gone back, literally back to basics, his family sandwich shop, this kind of regression. And he's never going to be the same again. You you never are with, with grief.
2: So do you think he, there's a worry as well that with this turning point, this huge tragedy in his life, he's not going to be able to become... The, the man he thought he could become, Kami.
1: Kami won't become the man that he thought he was going to be mm. because after a death you never can but he can become a different man and I think that's what he's sort of grappling with.
2: Which is a scary place for someone who needs control to, to be. Right?
1: Exactly but I, I think that there's different ways that people kind of deal with it. There's two in particular that I think Richie and Kami personify. Richie is very stuck in the past. He doesn't want anything to change. He wants everything to stay as it is and he even says it with the changing environment he sees shops and restaurants around them being closed down and he's really upset by nothing staying the same but the fact that the street's becoming gentrified Mm. and he kind of wants to hold on to the past because the past had him and Mikey being like the top boys and you know being you can kind of imagine them at at school being the ones that everyone looked up to so he kind of represents the being trapped in the past where no Mikey's not dead things can carry on as, as they were Kami represents the not looking at the past at all and just projecting himself forward into a future where everything runs smoothly and the sandwich bar is, you know, is really successful and running on controlled lines. And he's refusing to look back. He doesn't want anything of the past to remain. He's trying to completely transform it. And in a way that I think represents a grief theory that I think is very true, which is called dual process theory, which is to say that even though there's an instinct to either be completely stuck in the past and not look forward, or to be completely escaping into a future that doesn't exist yet so that you don't have to look backwards, dual process theory says that it's more of a pendulum swing. So you will have moments when you do feel like trapped in the past, and then you will swing into a future where you can see something changing. And dual process suggests, as I believe, that grief is isn't static and that you are going to sometimes look backwards and you are going to sometimes look forwards.
2: Very tricky. So I, I mentioned dreams earlier. You mentioned the bear dream mm. and there's a couple of other dream sequences. Yeah. Do you like dream sequences and things? How do you take them? Because dreams are a big part of psychology, right?
1: Yeah. What he is unable to face in his day-to-day life, the thing he is outrunning in, in keeping busy all the time comes up in his unconscious. And that's what dreams do. The stuff that we don't want to look at consciously, like as soon as we fall asleep, our unconscious saying, no, this is here. And it can be really reflective of what is really going on, which can be very, very different to what, what we see in real lives. As I always say, you know, you can't outrun all of this stuff. You can run, but you can't hide. It's going to come at you in your dreams. It's going to explode eventually. Yeah. And I think the whole show, the whole series is, is is a series of like explosions of the unconscious saying, no, I'm here. <laughs> Uh, the, the bear in the cage is going to come out and get you eventually.
2: Are there dreams that your clients tell you that are as analogous as that?
1: Sometimes they can be. But the first question to ask if somebody brings a dream is not so much about the content of the dream. It's about how the person feels about the dream. So they wake up feeling calmed or tense or afraid so there's no this kind of thing of oh teeth falling out definitely means right, this right, yeah, it's yeah. more about what does it mean to you how has it left you feeling so it's trying to tease out what the dreamer thinks it means rather than imposing some sort of reading um upon it
2: we've actually we've got a clip from one of the uh slightly unsettling dreams that kami has and we're given a bit of an insight here into the state of his kind of inner world. This is from The Cooking Show.
0: Welcome back to The Bear. The Bear. I'm Carmen Berzato, and today we're gonna to be making beef brejal. Now, this is a very special dish in my dysfunctional nightmare of a household. My brother, Mike, made this for us every single Sunday. And you guys, this is a cute story. My brother, who is addicted to painkillers, Blew his head off on the State Street Bridge. <laughs> Bam! Now, hold on. It gets better. No letter. No goodbye. Nothing except he did leave me our family's restaurant and his will, which was a nice curveball considering he never let me work there with him, even though I'm. Pretty good at this, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I used to run the best restaurant on the planet Earth. It was pretty different from my brother's shithole, which was barely hanging on by a thread. So that was a nice final fuck you from Michael on the way out. Anyway, Brajal. guys, where's my stuff? <laughs> what The fuck is going on?
2: <laughs>
0: I mean, a problem. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm really, I'm just fucking this up, guys. i up, stop, please. I'm right here. Whew.
2: Twin Peaks level of creepiness towards yeah. the end there. What, what are some of the different coping mechanisms that Kami uses to just to survive?
1: Well... I think that dream is quite interesting because I think what we saw there was him being very visible in his vulnerability. That mm. that um, uh, people having an audience laughing at him because he couldn't. do He kept saying, "I can't do this." Seeing oh. him not be able to cook and. So I think one of the coping mechanisms in his waking life to keep that fear at bay that what if they see my vulnerability is to aim for perfection. Right. And he um he describes once making this dish that had four different kinds of plum in it when he was at the at the posh restaurant. Um I mean, it sounds to me absolutely nuts. There was like some sort of plum sauce that it took like a, a relay team of people stirring no, no, no. it for 48 hours or or something. But I think that sense of if I can just make it perfect, and it's also a bit like Marcus, the the the, the pastry chef, who um, is trying to make the perfect donuts as mm. as well. He kind of gets that that similar obsession for perfection. If I can just make the perfect dish, if I can just get the perfect restaurant, then I won't have to feel any vulnerability. But the problem with perfectionism, as we see all too well in this show, is that you can never attain it. I mean, the culmination of his story about the four plum dish was that the chef still wasn't satisfied, and that- the thing. You can do exactly what you think is needed. And then the goalposts move. And we also see it like when Marcus makes what he believes is his perfect donut after having slept there all night. He shows it to Kami at a time when Kami can't take it on board and Kami like smashes it out of his hand, it smashes to the floor. I think that is a really good metaphor for perfectionism is not going to save you. It could be just you just smash through it because actually ultimately... Who cares about the perfect plum dish and the perfect donut? Your, your, your emotions are going to get smash you over the head and you're going to have to pick them up at some point.
2: Every now and again on this show, there's moments where I just feel like I'm actually in therapy because that's like, that was just so close to the bone. I, I'm definitely a perfectionist. It annoys me. I know I'm doing it as well while I'm doing it. I was late today because I was writing a jingle, I knew I would get it done in time to get to the studio. I'm like, it needs to be perfect to me. Mm. It's mad.
1: And what does it mean to you if it's not perfect?
2: I think that I'm, you know, I'm going to disappoint people. It's so crazy. Like, I'm, I'm so aware of it. Why do I give a fuck what they think? Fa- like I know I can do it. And if it's, if it's not right for them, they can tell me a better way of doing it. And I can do that too. Mm. No, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy thinking.
1: Well, it's not crazy thinking. It's I think it's very natural to not want to give anybody any cause to kind of pick away yeah, at... I think that's what your, it is. Especially in a creative job, I think.
2: Yeah, because we all talk about in, in the industry having like thick skin because we're throwing our ideas out there, you know, sort of laying them bare, so to speak. You know, ultimately, the whole thing's a process of validation. You know, when I was doing stand-up, if the crowd don't laugh, and it's like... It's like your soul falling out of your ear holes or your asshole, even worse. You know, you just feel this huge wave of we are disappointed in you. No one else, just you. <laughs> Taking that weight on board is, is, is crazy. So you have to have a bit of a thick skin for that, but it takes a toll. Mm, you you want to avoid it at all costs. Yeah. So try and make it perfect.
1: Yeah, but also I think we've talked about this in the past as well. It's that trying to disidentify the different parts of you. So there is a part of you that can go on and be a stand-up and do really well, and a part of you that doesn't need that affirmation. But sometimes you completely identify with, if I don't get as big a laugh as I got last night, then I as a person am a a complete waste of space, (laughs) rather than, oh, well, that particular night didn't go as well you kind of you can't you can't disidentify you from the performance yeah yeah but that's but but that's what we see here with with yeah, these guys absolutely. with you know if I can get the perfect donut he gets perfect donut and it's just smashed to the floor
2: mm. with men that we know from other shows that we've looked at you know I'm thinking specifically about masculinity and coming to terms with these feelings of, of vulnerability and anxiety and how we what we're scared of which is always a difficult thing for a man to say, I'm scared, I'm scared of that. I'm thinking like Jamie in Top Boy, we looked at recently, Don Draper, when we were back looking at Mad Men, you know, how far these guys push it. Is there something similar going on in the kitchen?
1: Yes. Yeah, so I think everybody, men or women, but I think for men, it's harder to be exposed for people to see you not being at the top of your game. The defences and the masks that we have to put on to stop people seeing that are huge. And, everyone's got their version of it and i think for some men in some environments it's really important because it can feel like life or death you know all of these people i mean Richie's on pills he's on xanax mm-hmm. which is as you kind of mentioned in the tease there that kind of leads to, to kind of worrying results when he accidentally puts it into the kid's punch at a, a kid's birthday party <laughs> they all fall asleep um so yeah he's on pills it to,
2: been
1: worse, I well it could have been worse <laughs> yeah i mean they make a bit of a joke of it but you know so he's on pills even Sydney the calm you know um, regulating force she's on on pills to calm them down because they can't ask for help they can't say guys this is nuts why are we living like this and again I don't think it's just about that kitchen culture I think on many levels most of us are looking at the society we live in again why are we putting ourselves through this but yeah I mean I think that that kitchens in particular and that part of Chicago they're in it looks to me like very macho culture I mean there's even like to the tiniest little example of when Richie goes off to buy the colk at the DIY store mm. and Sydney's like well let's just ask somebody and he's like I'm not asking anybody I'm not asking anybody <laughs> he absolutely refuses to show any weakness even like not knowing the right kind of coke to buy at the DIY yeah. store so from, from he must the...
2: get lost on holiday a lot
1: yeah <laughs> well yeah i mean i think he's very lost generally poor poor man but you know they they grapple their way they grope their way towards a slightly healthier way of of interacting over the course of the series yeah which
2: is a nice that's a nice sort of arc to have but up until then you see that if there's negativities that you can't deal with in yourself you know you pass them on someone else to kind of make you look a bit better like the 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 essence of of bullying like with the disdain we see of um pete
1: natalie's Natalie's
2: husband husband. is it a husband yeah Mm.
1: it's like you're not you're not living up to the image that we think a a man makes a man powerful yeah but actually it's natalie and pete that offer in many ways a way out pete is a, a gentler sort of a man and he goes with Natalie to the Al-Anon meetings to help them kind of come to terms with Mikey's addiction that led to his death and his alcoholism. And Al-Anon is it's part of the the AA therapy groups where people recognize they have a problem and they can go together to talk about it and with obviously with alcoholics anonymous is shared addiction and Al-Anon is for the relatives of people who have addiction so right. they can talk about what that's like. And from the beginning, Natalie is saying to Kami, why don't you go? You need to talk about this. And Kami's, like, very resistant. Again, that sort of macho, I'm not going to do it. I don't need to go and talk about it. I just want things
0: to be calm. I just want things to be on solid ground. I, I, I want things to feel... Consistent. Yeah, consistent. Yeah. That's totally reasonable.
2: Well,
1: I appreciate you saying that. Um,
0: I guess all the time I feel like I'm kind of trapped, because I can't describe how I'm feeling. So to ask somebody else how they're feeling, that just seems, uh, I don't know, insane.
1: (laughs) If we're thinking about Richie being stuck in the past and Kami just projecting into a sort of escapist future where everything's fine, Natalie represents that sort of the middle ground. She represents the present. She's Mm. saying, how are you feeling now? Mm. You can talk about it with me. You can talk about it at Al-Anon. These are the things that help Kami kind of back away from the constant activity. They allow him to be with, this is what I'm feeling yeah. In this moment I don't need to escape into the future.
2: And you you mention escape What's this fantasy has about burning things down?
1: Mm. So the oven does actually catch fire and it's like he's paralysed. He's just standing there watching it, almost like, oh, if I just let it burn, all the worry will go away, which you sort of think, well, possibly that's the situation Mikey was in when he did mm. decide that the only way out was to shoot himself. And luckily, Kami is rescued by the others. They do work as a team. They do come in and say, you know, what the fuck, man? And they, and they put the fire out. But in some ways, it's also representative of a purifying, I think, of we have to let something go in order for the like Phoenix-like for something to come out of the flames because you can't just get stuck in the past. You can't just say, right, well, this is how it's done. You have to kind of evolve. And I think that's what is happening as as Kami starts to address his own grief. And Richie is forced in a different way, not with a fire. He's forced to confront what's actually going on. He gets his aggression gets him to the point of punching somebody to the point that he's in jail because the guy might be might die. He oh, might have killed fight. somebody. Yeah, that, mm. And he has a sort of long dark night of the soul in a in a jail cell where he has to confront, I can't just keep being aggressive all the time they start to share their grief. They start to say, I really miss him. Mm. I really miss him. He's left a huge hole in our lives. And then once they recognize there's a hole there, they can start to fill it or to create a different shape around it. How I depict grief, and I've I've written about this and I've, I've experienced it, I kind of think it's about changing it for being a sort of a person-shaped hole that you might fall into and drown in. It morphs into a sort of a light that can guide you and power you power you on. So right at the beginning of the series, Richie finds a note that Mikey has left for Kami and he hides it. Such is his rivalry, such is his hatred of the fact that carmi has been left the restaurant, that he hides it.
2: Mm. And right at the end, he pulls it and
1: out. And right at the end, he pulls it out. He gives it to Kami. He, they've reached enough of an understanding through the fire and through the night in in a jail that he's able to say, okay, I don't need to try and hold Mikey's love all to myself. I can accept that he loved you and me. We don't have to be rivals here. He can have loved us both. He gives him the note, which ultimately leads to them finding that Mikey had hidden loads of money in bloody tomato Tins, um tins of tomato, which is really strange. But it's like, okay, Mikey can now show us the way. He has his legacy can fuel us to go forward. We've got the money now. We can make the changes. And so Mikey is like guiding them. He's not this thing that's holding them back. He is like showing them the way forward. So I think it's a really, really beautiful metaphor of if we can be together in our grief, if we can allow Mikey to be something that can show us the way rather than hold us back, then we can create a new Estrome.
2: Yeah, there's a whole bunch of hope there. And yeah, we can sort of backtrack this hope, this growth, almost all the way back to his sister, who is also bereaved. It's easy to forget. Mm. It's not all about Kami, mm. you know, but she's able to be in touch with these emotions a bit easy, which is, is crucial to him. And actually... When we think about the female relationships in Kami's chaotic life, they are kind of like rocks in a, you know, a storm filled ocean. And 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 they really show us some some real growth.
1: So it's really interesting that you brought up the metaphor of an ocean because I was talking earlier about how the kitchen seems to represent this heightened state of nervous system kind of arousal, and Sydney being the one, the calming influence that brings it back down. So there's a, a, a Vietnamese Buddhist monk called Titna Han, who was one of the Vietnamese boat people back in the 70s, a refugee that had to flee the Vietnam War. And he went on to found a monastery. And one of the things that he always used to say was that when those tiny little boats were rocked in the oceanic kind of storm and they were trying to cross to safety, if everybody in the boat panicked, they would just completely capsize. If one person in the boat could stay calm and stay grounded they could lower the temperature of everybody else, sort of via their nervous system, enough that the boat stayed stable. And it just takes one person. He always said this was like one of his teachings to keep the boat on course and keep it from capsizing. And it feels like Sydney provides that regulating presence. Her nervous system is regulated enough, she's calm enough to be the one person that keeps the boat from tipping over. Until the point of which I think is another one of the things that pushes Richie into realising that he has to change. He aggravates her, the calming force, to such an extent that she stabs him in the bum and his (laughs) bum bleeds. So, you know, everybody's got their breaking (laughs) points.
0: So, I, you know, we,
2: we mentioned the note a couple of times, but I think we need to dig into it a little deeper because what, where is uh, uh, Richie's head at? What's it like for Kami seeing that note? And then also what we find out is in the note, how that affects him. I mean, there's so much psychologically going on in, in just those moments.
1: What can happen a lot in grief is that... People want to hang on to the love and they take it out in terms of possession. So that's why there's so much fighting over wills because they like to see what they've been left as being representative of this is how much I was loved. Of
2: course, yeah.
1: And Richie, I think, hated that... Kami got the restaurant because to him it meant, oh, he loved him more. Mm. But when he can see that they were both loved, he's able to hand over this note, which basically it's like a, the key to the treasure. It's like the tre- a treasure map. Yeah, it's like follow the signs. And the note talks about the old family recipe, which leads into the tins of tomatoes, which leads into all this money that he's um, but, hidden uh, in s- there.
2: Sorry to, sorry to cut you off there, but there's also an important moment when he does open it and sees it's a recipe because when I was watching that for the first time, obviously I didn't know that there was going to be money in the in the tins. So there was this kind of weird, I almost laughed, but it was devastating as well. Mm. Like, is it just a fucking recipe?
1: Yeah, yeah. It's like all of that. Is that what we've been uh, holding you know I mean? out for? I thought it was
2: maybe that. So mm. you can see that, uh, you can see Carmi going through all those emotions, uh, you you kind of go through them with him. Mm. It's a great moment. Anyway, sorry, mm. continue. So, well,
1: no, no, I, I think I think I think that's really important because yeah, there's both a kind of a, a disappointment of oh, is that it? But also, I guess food is their method of communication, mm. um, and so it is a communication of sorts, even before you know quite a valuable a communication it is. But then you get this lovely scene where the whole team comes together and as mm. a team they unwrap the money and it represents their future, that now together the the restaurant can survive. And I love that moment when he puts the sign in the window and it says, the beef is closed, the bear opening soon. And it is like he's owning it. The bear has been let out of his cage.
2: And the team uh, is good and it's expanding. The
1: team is good, it's expanding. And I think it also represents Kami's inner bear, his inner power that he has kept hidden because he wanted to keep that dynamic of younger brother and older brother mm-hmm. it's like no mikey's gone i can own my own power i can own my own bear like nature and i can make this what i what i want through mikey's guidance so yeah i love it the The bear has come out the bear representing grief and the bear representing the opposite of his passivity it's like yeah, yeah. we're here
2: the path they take is is super rocky but then you know the obstacle is is the way right yeah um lovely phrase I I love that arc obviously I haven't seen any of the second series but it does make me wonder like what that's such a nice contained journey Mm. from uh, you know helplessness to to hope I I guess they're going to be challenged again and it's going to get hotter there's going to be more sandwiches I don't know but I, I love the lessons that come out of oh me too it
1: was such a fabulous such a fabulous series from for me a very unpromising beginning
2: but isn't that nice as well because that sort of reflects an emotional journey for you too as an audience member it's just fucking chaos Mm. all right awesome stuff thanks everyone for your emails this week keep getting in touch you know the way it is uh shrink the box at sonymusic.com We've got Nick in Brighton this week who says, Hey Ben and Sash, oh my goodness, love your podcast. Huge fan, feel very grateful for therapy and how it's helped me so much. So this podcast is a perfect combination for me. Nice to hear. I have a couple of suggestions. Carrie Bradshaw, Mm -hmm. Sex in the City. Yeah, uh, sex in the city just feel it feels like it, the legacy's been so tarnished, I've know, forgotten that she yeah. she was actually a great character. Uh,
1: back in the day, she was yeah. amazing, but yeah. <laughs>
2: um and Anya from This Way Up. Um I suggested
1: Anya very early on when uh, we right. began our podcast okay. journey together. Well, I need to w- ben, I, I, It's brilliant.
2: You know, I need an excuse to watch something, and it's like I never would have watched Sex Education if it wasn't for mm. this show. Uh, Nick goes on to say Carrie's such a s- complex and often problematic character it'd be great to get both of your takes on her especially as and just like that reboot is on TV currently the amazing Ashling B created and plays Anya a character in recovery from a breakdown and having experienced that myself her character really spoke to me I think it would be so interesting to hear you both explore her story uh, <laughs> okay but two good suggestions then yeah Anya and Carrie okay we'll definitely check that out um do make sure you try and uh, follow us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon, you know, wherever you choose to get your bits and pieces, get the new episodes, share the love, tell your mates. And if you want to listen to us without the ads, just subscribe to the Extra Takes because you're going to get the ad-free episodes from Kermit and Mayo's take and all their extra stuff that they do as well. You can do a free trial right now. Click Try Free at the top of the Shrink the Box show page or just by visiting extratakes.com. Big thanks to the production team. Production management is Lily Hambly. The assistant producer is Marnie Woodmead. Social media is Jonathan Limieri. The Studio engineer is Teddy Riley. The senior producer is Selena Ream. Producer on this episode was Bethany Hocken. And executive producer is Simon Paul. Shrink the Box is a Sony Music Entertainment production. So this is the last episode of season one. I know, I can't Shrink believe the Box. it. Our character arcs... Uh, there's a lot of unresolved tension, I think. Um, <laughs>
1: yes, our character arc yeah, has been yes, it's been uh, curtailed yeah. too early.
2: Uh, it's nuts, but well, yeah. So we're gonna have a bit of a break, summer holidays and all of that. As usual, we'll be answering your questions uh, when they come in. We'll we'll, we'll definitely do some shrink the inboxes. Uh, we we gotta give you guys your time to shine. What, what, what can we expect in the first one coming up
1: some of the character suggestions that you've sent us that we haven't thought of yet and I want to go back to we, we talked to Kyle Smith-Bino about yeah. his character in Ghosts back when we did our live episode mm. but we didn't really have time to talk more about the other ghosts and they are so fascinating and there's so many yes. of them I quite, I'd quite like to do a bit more you know, spend a little bit more time All with right. the ghosts I need
2: a reason to watch more ghosts mm. that, that's a such
1: reference. a great ensemble yeah. um, piece so yeah, maybe Talk about them a bit more. I mean, one emailer asked us why we all root for the the psychopaths or the seriously bad people <laughs> in TV series. Is it because they're gorgeous? Well, I think it probably must be I think, because I don't know why else anyone would root for a, a, a psychopath. And it's just funny how they always seem to cast the good-looking ones as the psychopaths.
2: Interesting. Yeah, that mm. is that's definitely worth digging into. I've got a, a, a show coming out on the BBC, which will probably come out the same week that that shrink the inbox does maybe oh, really we could talk about because that's about a psychopath oh great but it's very much about the ugly side of it it basically works really hard to avoid that trope
1: right great so, as much oh. as
2: i'll say about it for now
1: right well i look forward to hearing <laughs> more about that
2: yeah all right well uh another week in the can sash and we can uh we can go and book our tickets now <laughs> get out of here for our summer holes (laughs) enjoy yeah we will see you next week don't worry (laughs) bye all right it's time now for the bear credits as promised for series one created by christopher storer so at the top we had the kitchen chaos at the family-owned chicago sandwich joint the original beef of chicagoland from episode three of the bear Starring Jeremy Allen White as Carmen Kami Bezato. You also heard Ayo Adibiri as Sydney Adamu. And this episode was written by Christopher Stora and directed by Joanna Calo. Kami being tried and tested by the abusive head chef at his last restaurant job was episode two and it was written and directed by Christopher Storer. And Kami implementing Escoffier's kitchen brigade system in a last ditch attempt to control the chaos was episode three, written by Christopher Storer again and directed by Joanna Carlo again. The trippy dream Kami has about his own TV cooking shows from episode seven, written by Joanna Carlo and directed by Christopher Storer. And the heart-to-heart we witness between the two Bezato siblings, Carmi and Natalie, is seen in episode six, written by Catherine Shatina and Rene Goob. The Bear was produced by Superfrog and FX Productions. It premiered on Hulu and is now distributed by Disney+. Plus. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next week.